Josephson's now in. Harrigan's out. Before we go to playing politics, Kelly Clarkson, this Christmas tune. David, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it's the first time I've heard this, but yeah, I'm fine with this. It's okay. It's, it's okay. Beat. It's fun. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Yeah, thumbs up, I guess. I'm fine with it. John Rash and Scott Gillespie are here. Scott, I'm going to start with you. Is it a bevy of Christmas tunes at your house, or you're just sick of hearing Christmas music everywhere else you go, so not, not at your place? Uh, we really are behind. We're behind schedule. And uh, so we haven't really cranked up the tunes, although I personally listened to that Kelly Clarkson uh, Christmas CD yesterday, streamed it, and it, it's I really nice. like it. So, uh, so what, what do you mean? Like fourth of, endorsement. Yeah, what are you playing? Fourth of July music at your house? You suggested you're behind. Yeah. I mean, how far behind are you? Yeah, I, you know, uh, it's uh, sometimes Christmas sneaks up on us. Yes. And it did this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, at the Rash Compound, what, what are you doing, John? Are you playing Christmas music or Uncle? I, I, I hear it everywhere I go. Uh, conversely, I, we're playing a fair amount of it, but we have Charlie Brown Christmas on near repeat, and oh. that's the traditional music that we listen to when we decorate the tree and when we're doing particularly festive things. And it's so extraordinarily good because – it's got, you know, the jazz component mm-hmm. to it that that becomes our Christmas soundtrack. Is Joe Manchin the newsmaker of the year? John, you first and then Scott. Not of the year, but certainly of the week and of the moment um, in terms of, you know, his ability to determine the Democratic agenda. And I do think you certainly have a point, Chad, that it. If we were talking about newsmakers of the year at this point and we're mentioning a Joe, we would be referencing the president and not a senator from West Virginia. But it just shows with such a slender majority how one person's opinion can hold so much sway. And certainly Senator Manchin is well aware of this. And despite the heat or maybe because of the heat, because it probably helps him in deep red West Virginia that went for President Trump by nearly 40 points. He has continued to be a holdout on the Build Back Better bill, which they will have to build back better itself in order for Senator Manchin to come around. How about you, Scott? Yeah, certainly way up there on the list. I don't know if I'd rank him number one either, but uh, he's he's critical for the president, for his agenda. Uh, obviously, they had hoped to get this bill passed before Christmas. That's not going to happen. Uh, maybe it doesn't get passed. I don't know. I have some sense that Manchin will play this out as long as he possibly can, get as much changed as he possibly can, but then ultimately vote yes. But I certainly would not be shocked if I'm wrong in that prediction. So let's stay with that, and I'm going to start with you, Scott. The reports came out, I think, initially from the Washington Post that last week Manchin either went directly to the president or went to the staff and said, I'm in for $1.8 trillion, but I'm not going to give everything a climate change and I'm not giving you the child tax credit. And certainly that's a key part, especially the child tax credit of what President Biden wanted. I think it was a mistake myself. I think the White House should have accepted it and said, we're going to get this, and then we're going to push extraordinarily hard on the child tax credit. And if they want to make Manchin vote no on that, okay, But to me, and I I get 
It's not what Sanders wants. It's not what uh, Ilhan Omar wants and other progressives. But it's still almost $2 trillion. I think this would have looked better for Biden to say I passed two of these bills. I was able to bring people together. There isn't uniformity in my caucus. But look at what we finished as opposed to people, Scott, saying, hey, I thought Biden was supposed to get things done. And when it really mattered on his signature one, he failed. I tend to agree with you. That's more uh, where I fall in terms of uh, wanting public policy to work for people and and seeing the value in compromise. Uh, And I, you know, obviously Biden uh, ran on that in part. But he also ran on climate change and child tax credit uh, makes good policy sense and good political sense. So uh, I tend to agree with you, except that it's not over yet. Uh, there's still more ball game to be played here. It's getting closer to the end as uh, we go into a new calendar year. But I'm just I'm not certain that the Biden administration feels like uh, that's really Manchin's last last position. How about you, John? If you're advising the administration when Manchin came back at 1.8, but again, definitely altered climate change, definitely benefited coal in West Virginia and probably his family, and also no child tax credit, you say yes or no? Say yes, and then try to get a better deal as the declining uh, majority in the Senate concurs over the rest of 2021. It's widely believed that the Republicans, at least at this point, are in a terrific position to overtake congressional majorities in both houses. And even if they do it in one, it'll stall all of President Biden's agenda. I think in particular, climate change is such an existential crisis that the country and indeed the world faces that taking leadership on that. And even if it's three quarters of the way that you wanted to go, that's a whole lot better than not walking away with this component of the bill. And so I would have gone for it. Part of it, too, is just the psychology of the politics involved in that Senator Manchin would have to, in effect, change his mind. And while he certainly could position it that the president came around to where I was or closer to where I was, that'll be pounced upon by his competitors in, again, deeply Republican West Virginia, and that might make it more challenging for him to run for re-election as opposed to he could have voted for or he could have positioned this, the president could have accepted it, and it wouldn't involve a change of position, which would make Senator Manchin more vulnerable, as well as the Democrats, because they need everyone elected that they can, because even with a 50 vote and the vice president majority, they're having a hard time getting things done. We will not have playing politics uh, next week. So let's let's give a one-year evaluation for President Biden. And I'm going to start with you, John. Let me, let me give some items I want you to react and take it whichever way you want to go. There are parts of this economy which have surged. That is undeniable. But it's also undeniable that inflation has hurt people and hurts people almost every single day. The president also talked about that he would control COVID and even during the end of one debate said, bring it to an end. You know, in July, it wasn't at the end, but it slowed dramatically. And because of Delta and now Omicron and the reluctance of tens of millions to not get vaccinated, COVID is every bit as prominent now 
as it was one year ago. The president also campaigned on competency. And I think Afghanistan and how that was handled uh, poorly, in the opinion of me and I think you two and others, that that took a pretty strong shot at the competency side. I, I look at this year for the president and feel like the first few months – it looked like it was going to be a transition to a traditional presidency, the opposite of Donald Trump. But I thought there were many, many points the last few months where Joe Biden deserved a great deal of criticism. And I think the Gallup poll reflects that, that uh, overall ratings in the, the, the low to mid-40s. And, John, with independence, he's in the mid-30s. What, what is your assessment on what I said in your view of this first year of the Biden presidency? Well, indeed, an inverse uh, relationship to the way to the order in which you brought them up. Afghanistan wasn't just a military, but a moral failure in terms of abandoning Afghan allies and even some Americans who were there. And most surprising, it was done with minimal to at times even no consultation with European allies. And that's something that President Biden ran on and indeed had an extraordinary track record on. It's deeply puzzling and perplexing, particularly for his political allies, and has opened up his adversaries to charges of incompetence and to weakening the America is back theme that he so successfully positioned in the campaign. In terms of COVID, I certainly think that he took it more scientifically, seriously, sent all the right messages and did as much of the right things as he could, especially relative to President Trump's approach and it just shows how humbled the world is for a virus that continues to mutate and the politics mutating as well. And in terms of, you know, some of the other aspects, economic in particular, part of there, it's the same equation in that the surging economy, as well as supply chain problems and labor shortages is leading to inflation. And has it been handled as well as possible? No. But it's not a result of a weak economy. It's actually a result of one that has bounced back better than many economists even expected. So it was a, a very strong start, as you say, where some people were liking him to FDR. And he was appearing, at least in polls, to be more Jimmy Carter towards the end of the year. And so we'll have to see what 2022 brings. Scott? Yeah, I agree with much of what both of you have said on uh, the economy, one thing I'll point out as well is income inequality remains such a major problem in this country and certainly something that the Democrats said that they would address and want to address. Instead, with inflation taking off as it has, we all know inflation hurts those at the bottom of the economic ladder mm-hmm. a lot more than it, than it hurts the three of us and those who are yeah. in the middle and at the top. And that's a major problem. Uh, So you not only have not gotten that income inequality, I think I haven't looked at data lately, but but when we look at it with inflation layered on, it's going to look worse. So uh, that's that's a major problem on the economy. And then on the pandemic, uh, I'll just say in a personal note, um, you kidded earlier about Christmas music. And I said we started slowly. Well, one of the reasons we started slowly is we have a I have a close family member who vaccinated, was scheduled to get a booster shot yesterday after really kind of struggling to find an open appointment Mm -hmm. um, and finally did, but woke up feeling poorly, tested positive for COVID last night. Mm. 
So, you know, um, it's with us. And I'm, not, I'm only bringing up that personal yeah. uh, story because it's with us. And I'm afraid with what, what we read on Omicron, it seems like it's going to be with many, many more of us, hopefully uh, with minimal or no symptoms. But uh, what my biggest problem with politicians leading public health is that they have political reasons for wanting things to end before they've run their course. And and I think there are many things that I wish we would have done differently in terms of testing. Uh, What he rolled out yesterday should have been rolled out months ago. We should be sending high filtration masks to people. Yes. We could be doing a lot more, but, but that sends a signal that it's not over. Right. So, uh, you know, that if you're mm-hmm. a politician, you really want to do that. So I, I personally feel like, um, it hurt the politics hurt us with, with the pandemic during the Trump administration, obviously, and they're still hurting us in the Biden administration in the handling of an unpredictable virus. That is right. Up. For both administrations, more blatant, more overt with Donald Trump, and no doubt with Joe Biden. There's no doubt about it. Let's let's finish here, next three, four minutes, talking about this upcoming year in Minnesota. And, Scott, I'm going to start with you first here. There will be a race, either for Governor Walls to get four more years, or we're going to have, at minimum, one endorsed Republican. Who who knows? Maybe others will try to run in the the general election. How vulnerable is Tim Walz? Let's, let's just be factual here that the state last elected for one of the statewide races, not congressional seats, not Senate and Republican seats, but a statewide race, a Republican, 2006, Tim Pawlenty. So there is that significant inherent advantage for Tim Walz. But he has been controversial, whether you absolutely embrace what he's done with COVID or you have distaste for it or disdain. You have multiple candidates. We just had a forum recently where none of the five would even say that Joe Biden is the president, uh, which is absurd. I mean, it's just insulting to facts. How vulnerable, uh, Scott, is uh, Governor Walls in this race? Well, it's not a slam dunk. Uh, his reelection is not uh, guaranteed by any stretch. I would bet on it still if I had to make a bet. I think he's... Uh, He's going to win re-election in a relatively close race, Uh, but definitely want to see who the candidate is. Uh, I don't think you can be leading the Trump train uh, on the Republican side and win the gubernatorial race in Minnesota. Uh, You could maybe be toward the back of the Trump train, which some of them seem like uh, maybe that's where they're going to position themselves. And then I'm going to throw one wild card in. Uh, we had a session with a former governor. I won't, and it wasn't about the gubernatorial race, so I'm not going to name him. It wouldn't be fair. Mm-hmm. But, but a former governor of the state of Minnesota who pretty much guaranteed us that Richard Painter will will run as uh, as an independent. Uh, if that happens, I don't know what that does to the race. I, you know, I, but I, pretty high profile guy. Maybe his profile has has uh, ebbed since he ran for Senate, but. You know, that could shake things up and take some votes away from uh, from walls that uh, he doesn't really want, can't stand to lose. So um, that's unpredictable. I'm not as sure that he's going to have as big of an effect now. You may be 100 percent right. And, John, I think Scott's point's interesting on can you win the general election if you're following the former president's belief and everything. I don't see how you win the endorsement, though, if you're not 
right. almost 100 percent in line with Donald Trump. Which is the story of the Republican Party across the country at this point. But whoever does win it, particularly if it's Senator Gazelka, will make a dash for the center and try to not only run as an individual, but on issues. And so, so much of this will turn on what the voters are really reflecting on. Part of that, of course, is considering COVID and where the coronavirus crisis stands at that point. If it ebbs as it looked like it was doing earlier this summer, it'll be less of an issue. If it's as much of an appropriate concern as it is right now, Governor Wallace's handling of it, and as profoundly his Republican rivals um, position on it and what he or she has said about it, and as well as mitigation efforts, mask mandates, and vaccines, and other issues will be really key. But watch for crime to be the issue that the Republicans push, and it's likely that's for a reason that they'll get quite sure. a bit of traction in the areas where they have lost, which are the inner ring and second tier suburbs that have been drifting Democratic over the decades, explaining why it's been so long since Republicans won a statewide race. This is a profound concern among all Twin Cityans and increasingly Minnesotans. And while most won't directly tie it to Governor Walls, as opposed to the city's mayors, for instance, it certainly will be looked at as a Democratic versus Republican issue. And if that becomes the dominant theme of the campaign, he'll be particularly vulnerable. Gentlemen, enjoy the conversation as always. Again, Merry Christmas. And we will talk uh, not next week, but the following week. And I'll look forward to it. Thanks so much, Jed. Merry Christmas. John Rash, Scott Gillespie, Gillespie, excuse me.